Through centuries of trial and error, experimentation, and preference picking, humans have managed to breed any type of dog you could possibly want or need. If you're in the market for a dog, there's a drop-down list of physical and temperamental characteristics to choose from that will lead you to the dog breed exactly right for you. And while some breeding reasoning is justifiable, like eliminating aggression or genetic defects, some breeding reasoning is absolutely mind-boggling. For example, what is the justification behind breeding a dog particularly to increase its aggression for blood, sport, and death? Is it ever ethical to breed a dog just for looks or convenience? And especially if those preferences result in, in numerous health issues for the dog breed? Or, a lighter question, how many characteristics have to be similar or different in dogs for them to reside in the same or separate breed? Welcome to Nishi History, where we eschew the most famous tales and spotlight the lesser-known stories, the forgotten names, the interesting places, and the random topics of history. With me, Jessa Briggs, we'll dive deep into the archives and embark on a journey scouring the nooks and crannies of history. Today's is the centuries-long story of three variations of one dog breed, of how different human preferences can create and kill. It's a story of sex, violence, and entertainment, and where our furry little friends fit into them. Today is the story of the evolution of the bulldog. And guess what? The whole story is background, because we're just going through how we ended up with the dogs we all love today. There are three distinct eras in the Bulldog's life that we're going to walk through. American Kennel Club bravely announced that Bulldogs were, quote, produced in England, popularized in France, and perfected in America, end quote. I, I literally had to practice saying popularized. It took me like five tries. <laughs> anyway, these will be our three parts. The Old English slash English Bulldog. And yes, they are different. Um, then two is the Frenchie, a.k.a. Bulldog Francais, a.k.a. the French Bulldog. And then three, the American Bulldog. Now, I'd like to preface our timeline by saying there is evidence that the Bulldog in some variation or another has been around since we were only in the double digits AD. But I'm going to start our Nishi story in and around the 1600s, where we first see the actual word Bulldog in writing. All right, let's get into it. As promised, the Old English Bulldog and English Bulldog are up first. So the English Bulldog is described on Wikipedia as having large heads with thick folds of skin around the face and shoulders, quote, and a relatively flat face with a protruding lower jaw. The breed has significant health issues as a consequence of breeding for its distinctive appearance, end quote. All you have to do is Google Bulldog to see lists and lists of the health issues that Bulldogs have. They've got such low quality of life that it is actually illegal to breed Bulldogs in Norway and the Netherlands. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. Though our modern Bulldogs are struggling, they definitely have a cuddlier, fuzzier life than our, their old English Bulldog ancestors. Quote, in the 1938 Blue Book of Bulldogs, William Lawror wrote that the bulldog can be traced to 1210, the year of the first official bull baiting in England, end quote. 
This comes from the American Kennel Club writer Carly Silver. I admittedly did not read the Blue Book of Bulldogs. I would have loved to. I even looked it up, but it seems that the only version of the book is $20. And not only do I not have the time for the shipping, I'm also not quite that invested in the history of Bulldogs. So we will have to take Carly Silver's word for it. <laughs> anyway, we will get to bull baiting in a second. First, let's describe the Old English Bulldogs. So the Old English Bulldogs are said to be Mastiff-type dogs, and while they weren't too much bigger than the average English Bulldog today, they were stronger and faster and much more aggressive. The Great British Bulldog blogs gave a great rundown of the unique features of Bulldogs and why they were bred, dating back to the early days of bull baiting. Quote, the extraordinary features of a bulldog's body and face are reminiscent of why they were used for bull baiting. The bulldog developed a stocky body and a massive head, which typified a fearless and aggressive temperament. The shoulders were bred wide so the dog could crouch low on attack. The hindquarters of the bulldog are not as well developed as the forequarters. This allowed the dog to be violently shaken without spinal injury. The structure of the lower jawbone allowed the dog to latch onto the bull's nose while hanging freely with ease. The wrinkles or folds on the face allowed the bull's blood to flow down the dog's face and away from the eye. End quote. So considering that our description of the dog had blood in it, I'm sure you can tell that bull baiting was not a nice sport. All of the aspects of the old English bulldog were important because bull baiting is just what it sounds like. A bull or a bear would be tied to a stake, aggravated in a series of horrendous ways, and then a bulldog would be set loose on them. The job of the bulldog was to grab the nose or the snout of the tied animal and pin it down. It was really popular in England between the 13th and the 16th centuries, um, but by the 1700, crowds thinned and thinned until England finally banned the sport altogether. The mighty, aggressive bulldog became obsolete when bull-slash-bear baiting was banned in England in 1835. And I actually found a transcript or a copy of the Cruelty to Animals Act of 1835, and I found one specific piece that mentioned bull baiting that I would like to share with you. So please bear with me as I try to decipher the Old English spelling. <laughs> All right, so it goes, quote, Be it therefore enacted that from and after the passing of this act, if any person shall keep or use any house, room, pit, ground, or other place for the purpose of running, baiting, or fighting, any bull, bear, badger, dog, or other animal, whether of domestic or wild nature or kind, or for cockfighting, or in which any bull, bear, badger, dog, or other such animals shall be baited, run, or fought, every such person shall be liable to a penalty not exceeding five pounds nor less than ten shillings for every day in which he shall so keep and use such house, room, pit, ground, or place for any of the purposes aforesaid, end quote. And you can find that whole Cruelty to Animals Act of 1835 on statues.org. That's where that quote came from. It's um, in the episode description in the list of sources. I would also like to say that that was uh, one sentence. 
<laughs> there, the only period there was at the end. Uh, and I wanted to include more, but the next sentence was just as long as this one. And I didn't, it's not worth it. There are a hundred different ways that the, the same thing is said for a hundred different types of people who could participate, who could potentially put, participate in bull baiting from the runners of the show to people providing the animals to landlords who let it happen. Uh, either way, the point was clear. There was no more animal baiting, and if you were connected to it in any sort of way, you would be punished. And I know that five pounds doesn't really sound like a lot, but remember that that's in 1835. It's estimated that today, five, five pounds, I think I was saying dollars before, we're in pounds because we're in England. So five pounds in 1835 is equivalent to purchasing power of about 783 pounds today. So actually, like if you were slapped with the maximum sentence, it was going to get you pretty good. And for bulldogs, though they weren't dying and they weren't sporting in this horrible blood sport, it still wasn't great because old English bulldogs really held a very specific skill set, which was for bull baiting. And so when their job was taken away, the old English bulldogs were seen as savages and were no longer wanted around. And they were on the brink of extinction when another niche rose in English society and saved them. This was the dog exhibition show because bulldogs are very unique looking. I think people wanted to show that off. So they thought if we can breed out the aggression, this is another use for them because it's a type of dog that people aren't used to seeing. So the first bulldog club came in 1869, about a decade after the introduction of the dog shows. The purpose of the bulldog club was to keep the breed pure, beautiful, and docile. And thus started the conversion of the old English bulldog to the English bulldog, a sporting animal to a companion animal. So the English bulldog no longer a sport animal, but a companion, was by the 1900s known for its sweet disposition. It had lost all of its aggression and also the speed and agility that characterized the old English bulldog. It seems that the internet agrees that the old English bulldog is actually now extinct, and the breeding practices from the late 1800s, which bred the sporting dogs with gently tempered breeds, developed the new English bulldog that people love today. However, it wasn't just the dog shows that rescued the English Bulldogs from extinction. If that were true, we wouldn't have the Frenchie or American Bulldogs, both of which are insanely popular dog breeds today. So, the first question, how did Bulldogs get to France and when? And here comes part two, the French Bulldog. There's a couple different stories circulating about how the English bulldog made its way to France, where it would ultimately become the much smaller Frenchie or French bulldog. The story generally seems to be that when the bulldog was being bred as a companion dog, 
along with mellowing out the temperament, breeders were trying to reduce the dog's size. People generally preferred smaller dogs for pets in the 18 and 1900s. I also read that working class English people, uh, lace workers specifically, really enjoyed the English bulldog. And maybe the smaller size was for them because what went on to be known as the toy bulldog took up less space and ate less. And then when industrialization made lace workers' jobs obsolete, much like what had happened to their dogs a couple of decades before, these lace workers packed up and went to Normandy in France, where lace work was still a valued skill. With them were their toy bulldogs, the smaller version of the English bulldog. They brought them over to France. So, side note, before we go into the Frenchie history, I do believe the toy bulldogs don't actually exist anymore. I think that's what I've gathered from all my reading. Frenchies are the smallest bulldog. And that's because of the various physical traits and health issues of English bulldogs were exacerbated by the smaller size. I don't know if that's because of the other dogs that they were being bred with or what but it does seem that the toy bulldogs made their way to france and then evolved into the french bulldog which was slightly bigger and the toy bulldog does not exist anymore okay so once the lace workers introduced france to the toy bulldogs they took off in popularity England started selling France their worst bulldogs, and France started working to breed their own preferred version of the dog. For example, the French liked the bulldogs with erect ears rather than the rose ears of the English bulldogs, and thus was born the Bulldog Francais. The Bulldog Francais, or the French Bulldog, is about three quarters of the size of a typical English bulldog, about 30 pounds for the English bulldogs 50. Its skull is flat between the ears and domed above the eyes, and it also doesn't have the same pouty look as the English Bulldog. Now that these cute, adorable, little squeezable dogs were in France, what were they bred for? And spoiler alert, it was for more than just companionship. Let's take a detour and talk about Montmartre, a little hill neighborhood in Paris's 18th district to the north of the city center. In our timeline, so the 19th and 20th centuries, Montmartre, Montmartre, I'm trying. I can read French. I'm so bad at pronouncing it. So just bear with me. I'm so sorry if anyone French is listening. So in the 19th and 20th centuries, Montmartre, was known for being kind of wild. It was full of irreverent, popular entertainment. This entertainment was found in cabarets and performance halls, and it drew people from all over Paris. That meant a rare mixing of bourgeois and the working class, and that being mainly bourgeois men and working class women who were working as le belle de nuit, which is ladies of the night or beauties of the night. So, you know, kind of infer what they were doing. So an article from The Met by Nicole Myers expressed that, quote, the blurring of class boundaries contributed to Montmartre's reputation as a place for escape, pleasure, entertainment, and sexual freedom, end quote. And this freer side of Montmartre, uh, with performance halls and brothels on every street, Frenchies were hard at work 
because French bulldogs, with their genial temperament and adorable faces, accompanied sex workers all around Montmartre. A to Z animals described the Frenchies as icebreakers for the more awkward clientele of Montmartre's La Belle de Noir. They were cute, friendly talking points on the arms of the sex workers. And it's an odd little job that French bulldogs had in the late 1800s and into the 1900s. But it was certainly more pleasurable than the old English bulldog job. <laughs> but yeah, they were super popular. And they even had... I've, I've read... I haven't been able to find them. But I have read that there were risque postcards from this era of sex workers modeling with their Frenchie. Um, so the bulldog is actually in the photos with them. Like it, they were a huge part of the uh, sex work industry in this city at this time. It's just really a fascinating little blip in the bulldog history. Um, and although the French bulldog was very popular with sex workers and madams in Paris, Throughout France, every class from the poorest working people up to the richest bourgeois loved these dogs. And while the sex workers used them as an efficiency tool in the workplace, affluent members of society would enter their dogs into the most prestigious dog shows. And that's how they would show off their Frenchies. Okay. Part 2.5. This is more like a little bonus for us all, and it's about bulldogs in America. So though they were having plenty of fun in France, American tourists loved the French bulldogs they saw on their vacations and started bringing them home in the late 1800s. The French Bulldog Club of America was formed around the turn of the century and set up breeding standards for the bat-eared French Bulldog. French Bulldogs are still incredibly popular in the States today. I think they were like the sixth most popular dog breed in 2015 in the U.S. However, there is also an American Bulldog. Nearly the opposite of a Frenchie, the American Bulldog is bred as a work dog and or for protection. They're a medium-large breed, so they're much bigger than the Frenchie and a little bit bigger than the English Bulldog. And they have characteristics such as assertive, powerful, and strong-willed. They range anywhere from 60 to 100 pounds. And remember, the Frenchies are closer to 30 and English Bulldogs are closer to 50. American Bulldogs, because they are bigger, with larger snouts and straight legs, have longer lifespans and much less health issues. They just don't seem to be as popular because they're not quite as cute, and they are a little more active than their Frenchie or English Bulldog counterparts. That doesn't necessarily mean they're more aggressive. I think that depends on how they're raised and what they're raised for. But it does mean that they're not as lazy, French bulldogs seem to have the reputation that they're a great dog for people who live in apartments or who aren't able to like take their dog to the dog park every day, you know, um, quote unquote, lazy dog owners. The American bulldog does need that, that activity because it's bigger, its body is healthier. And so it can, it can sustain that physical activity more. And I think that is part of the reason why they're not so not quite as popular. Anyway, they don't have a very long history, so we'll keep their sections short and sweet. All right, folks, that's it for today. It was a little short, I know, but hopefully it was cute. 
And please go look at the Instagram, Nishi History underscore pod. It's one horrible photo and then nine adorable dogs that will make your day. If you have any topic suggestions or anything else, email me at nishihistorypodcast at gmail.com so we can explore your Nishi story together. I hope you enjoyed this deep dive into Bulldogs. If you did, please rate, like, comment, leave a five-star review, anything. It really helps. And I'll see you next week where we'll open another time capsule into a Nishi tale in history. Mm-hmm.